This is Tortal Recall. On this episode, uh, we do get into some triggering topics. Uh, mainly, we talk about sexual violence and sexual assault. So if that's going to be hard for you to listen, uh, please keep an eye out, and uh, maybe we can put in a time code where we start talking about that. There will be a musical cue when we start discussing these topics. It'll be about 42 minutes in, and I'll put in another musical cue when it's over at about 52 minutes in. All right, stay safe, have fun. I want to get the plastic off my kombucha before we say anything important. Sorry. (laughs) Now I'm ready. Gotta get all your beverages prepared. I got water and tea. It's gotta get your whole range. I like, you know, beverages. They're important. That's all. Stay hydrated, kids. That's the only way to be a warrior. That's true. This is our PSA segment where we just start by talking about, you know, a real Alana drinks eight ounces of water. I feel like there's there's just not not a lot enough focus on hydration in these books. There is a lot of focus on sweating. I thought like she sweats a lot. To be fair, don't we all? Though? We do. True. We do. Yeah. So I do hope she's rehydrating. Drinking. Hopefully, she drinks a lot of milk. That's good for your bones. Yeah, yeah, right. She's a growing person. Should we start this podcast before we start talking about like everything in the books? Sure. That's is fair. this not the podcast? Well, it might be. I don't know. We'll see. And welcome to Tortal Recall, which is the podcast where we reread Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. So much yelling. I'm Abby, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Amy, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Aurora, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. Awesome. So here we are. We're going to yell a lot as we talk about the second book in the Alana series, In the (laughs) Hand of the Goddess, which I just want to say, well, first I want to apologize to Amy because we put her on this episode first and she has never actually read, well, she read one Tamara Pierce book before the start of this podcast and now she has read three Tamara Pierce books and she's going to talk about this one right now. This one specifically, this book. This book is my one third of my representation of Tamara Pierce's work. And for that, we're sorry. To be fair, at least you didn't read it when you were 12. Mm. I am going to say, like, I, this is going to be controversial. This, this was my favorite Tamara Pierce book in the past. I guess, so we're, we've got segments here. Our first segment is First Adventure, where we talk about our initial experience or background with the book. This was definitely my favorite Alana book. The, back when I read the Alana series the first time. It still has some of my favorite stuff in it. I like there's a lot of really good stuff in this book and then just also a lot of not great stuff. That's true. So boy is there. <laughs> yeah. I made a list. We can go through it later. <laughs> it's extensive. So prepared. Yeah, I think I think we should um, you know, in these first couple sections we've got sort of general impressions of the book and things like that. We're going to get into the bad stuff in depth later, so I feel like maybe we should start out by saying sort of like, what did hold up about the book and all of that stuff? Sure. So, uh, Grace and uh, Aurora, when was the first time that you read this book? How old do you think you were? I think I was, I want to say like in between 9 and 11, Um, like right in there. 
Um, but something that I remembered that I don't think I talked about in terms of like my early experiences with Tamara Pierce books last time is that um, I read these like hella out of order because I used to go to the bargain basement of Half Price Books um, and I would just look for Tamara Pierce and then I would buy whatever was there for because it was like a dollar a book. Um, and so I would go there and I would have like a stack of books and I would just buy any Tamara Pierce that was there and then I would read them with like no regard for like <laughs> constructions, like series uh, or order or chronology. I love like when you were a little kid, the main problem that you had was not like, you know, now my main problem was not having enough time to read. When I was a little kid, my main problem was not having enough books to read. Yes. So, like, whenever you got any new book, it was so exciting and you would just read anything. Right. And I would read, like, completely nonsense books. Uh, but that's how I think I got this book, I would assume, because when I, like, went back to get my copies, I think, from my parents' house, I think that's where the majority of them were from. Um, and so I think that I got came to this book fairly late in terms of my Tamora Pierce experience. Um, and I don't remember a lot of my initial impression of it, to be honest. I think that I thought it was like a, like a decent entry in the Alana catalog, but I don't have like particular memories mm-hmm. associated with it. Aurora, do you have thoughts? I do. One moment. Okay. Um, so I read this book, yeah, also when I was fairly young, I think I was around 11. Um, and it was one of the first books that I ever read that had anything like romance adjacent in it. Ooh. I was a youth. I'd been reading like the Boxcar Children and like The <laughs> Hobbit. Um, so that was uh, an interesting, well, that's interesting. We can discuss that more later. Um, but I remember as a kid, I really, really liked it. Uh, especially because, like, an actual god made an appearance and she was, like, super cool. Um, and I think this was something I keyed on to as a kid, but there are some very good bits of friendship throughout this book. There are some really good friendships. That's true. Which, as a kid, I really loved and which I still kind of do. Yeah, no, I really, I'm struggling with this book because, like, we will get into the, we will get into <laughs> it in depth. <laughs> but, like, there, there are just some really great things in it that I love, uh, you know, that I loved as a kid and that I still love. So, I don't know. We'll talk about it more. Can we put a pin in the idea of becoming a Boxcar Children podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely, or we can do a spinoff. I'm just saying, after this book... <laughs> Yeah, spinoff for Boxcar Children, spinoff for Animorphs. I gotta get an Animorphs spinoff, too, yeah. Um, yeah, after this book, it's looking a, a pretty appealing. Mm-hmm. I think it's gonna get better. Well, okay, I, I have not read the third Alana book, and I'm very apprehensive about it. But after that, I think it's it's all uphill from there. <laughs> Good. No, no, I actually totally agree. Um, be excited. Things are gonna <laughs> get good. It's oh, gonna get Amy, great in the future. This is, so we can all tell you our first impressions. But you're, I mean, sorry, are like rereading impressions, but this is a first impression segment for you. Like, yeah. it's really the first adventure. Yeah, this is. Yeah, so, so Amy, what, what are your feelings? <laughs> all right, okay. So, first of all, I found, this is a book that I bought from a library on thriftbooks.com. It contains all four volumes, and the cover art is very good. The inside flap says, in Arial font, I believe, not Arial, the one that's like Arial, but worse. Um... <laughs> Hmm. Only boys can be knights, they thought, which is perfect. (laughs) That's a great tagline. That's like like so deeply Sweet Valley High. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very good. 
So right, and then since since we recorded the first episode of this podcast, you have read both the first book and then this one. Yeah. So I actually like was very afraid that I'd have to come on here and be like, "This is these are fine, these are good," <laughs> <laughs> but actually like these are pretty good. Like I'm I genuinely enjoy enjoy this a lot. Like. Okay, I'm very glad that you, you <laughs> yeah, did, because, like, I, I was concerned that, you know, our nostalgia was blinding us. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that it has a lot of really good elements to it. I, like, Alana is, like, just this really good self-insert, not self-insert, but, you know, like, Mary Sue, she's the, she's the best Mary Sue. Yeah, like, she's just, like, ex- like, it's just a really good sort of not a chosen one, but ch- chosen one story, but a, like, mm-hmm. that I, I'd say she's definitely a chosen one. I mean, she's literally one of the goddesses chosen, and also she's, you know, magical and perfect, and she has special eyes and the best horse and a talking cat. But I would say that's, like, that's so tempered by her being, like, best friends with a prince who's also chosen by the gods. Like It's true. They're both chosen. It's kind of great. Yeah, like, she just shows up at school, and then she becomes best friends with the very nice prince also. And, like, they (laughs) both have, like, complementary magical powers. Like uh, and complimentary magical horses. And <laughs> Moonlight and Darkness, they're two horses. <laughs> Prince Jonathan and his steed Darkness. Which is so incredible. Beautiful. Like this is like I just really enjoy being along the ride for this because there's a lot going on and like the pacing is weird and everything's happening really fast, but I don't it's just fun. Yeah, okay, so that's I'm I'm very glad that you think that. That's a great segue to our next segment first test, where the test is, we try to remember what happened in this book. <laughs> oh, man, this is gonna be hard. Wait, wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you got, Aurora? I thought of a one-sentence summary that you guys can elaborate on, because I'm not good at actual summaries, but, in a sentence, this book is Alana faces her fears. Ooh. That's actually wait, great. I, like I actually I like wrote down her fears. Um, I I also made a list of her fears because she has like very distinct fears yeah. that all like come up in order. It's kind of great. And in the book, she just checks them off. The first one is metaphors for manhood. The second, <laughs> <laughs> the second one is actually the second one is spite. The first one is spiders. The second one is metaphors for manhood. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't forget spiders. What about being cold? That's yeah. also like a major fear of hers. Okay, so- which is great that she's like gonna go out and like adventure in the world, and she just hates being cold more than anything. You're right. So chronologically, the first one is being cold. <laughs> The second one is spiders, which I did not think would come back, but did. The, <laughs> the third one is metaphors for becoming a man. Um, yes. The fourth one is emotional intimacy. And the fifth one mm-hmm. is some guy with a mustache, which saved <laughs> all of those. Yeah. Wait. Wait. R- Roger? Does Roger have does, a mustache? Does he not have a mustache? Did I just put that on him? He has a very nicely trimmed beard. Oh, he's just so mustache twirly. Not a twirly cartoon villain mustache? <laughs> I can I can definitely imagine that he has, like, a short beard and then, like, a mustache that he can twirl. Yeah, that's how Because he's got to twirl that mustache. That's how I pictured him the whole time. I was thinking, like, Robert De Niro-esque, except with better fashion. His fashion, still so good. <laughs> still great. Still so worst vibe, best look. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, I mean, like, we'll, I think we'll cover this in more detail later also, but just, right, I think general plot summary of she faces her fears is so good because 
it is really, you know, the, the goddess comes in at the beginning and she meets the goddess and the goddess tells her, cure what your fears are. And then there's like a bunch of different events in the books that are just like, you know, different things that she has to overcome and she gradually gets more suspicious of Roger. And then um, at the end, like, she, like, basically in one day, she has to just face literally every fear that she has because she does the ordeal and then she exposes Roger and then she has her gender revealed. And it's, there's a lot that happens on that one day. <laughs> yeah. So to, like, make an attempt at a plot summary, which is, like, really hard with these books, I'm curious if later Tamora Pierce books, like, face the same issue or if they uh, chronologize differently. I think they they don't. Um, really. But Alana, like, goes, she's still at school, she uh, goes to war for a while, um, and then she comes back, and then she, um, I'm sure I'm missing something, but various things happen, like school drama, she almost gets killed just a number of times, um, but is never <laughs> that worried about it, which I was not chill with, I would be so scared. Um <laughs> Well, that's why she's a great hero. And then she faces... She just keeps doing whatever. And then she faces the ordeal of manhood and also exposes her greatest enemy in literally, like, (laughs) the last 50 pages of this long book. So it is called the ordeal of knighthood, (laughs) Knighthood. but I appreciate that we've all just agreed that it's the ordeal of manhood. (laughs) You know what? Whatever. (laughs) Similar. (laughs) But different. I do think, like... You know, I, this maybe goes in our next section, but, like, you know, the last book was really, really hard to summarize because it really felt like it was just a bunch of events. And this one is just a bunch of events also, but I feel like it sort of works more because they do, like, there's sort of a clear starting point and a clear ending point, and she, like, grows and changes, and I don't know, it worked better for me in this one. I would agree. I think everything hangs together a lot more. Maybe partially, too, because... um we didn't get as much weird point of view shifting. Like, I guess we're grown up enough not to need that now or something, but um, to me it helped maintain yeah, a lot more coherence. Yeah, and we got a little bit, but it, it stuck out less, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess maybe we should move into our next section, uh, Run the Dominion Jewels, uh, where we talk about plot and world building. So uh, just sort of general things about structure and plot first off, I guess. You know what stuck out to me really early? And very early in the book, we talk about how she's going to be the first lady knight in a hundred years. Was that a feature of the previous book? Like, did we know that there had been lady knights in the past? See, that's something that I noticed because uh, it was mentioned later that it had been 300 years since there were, like, warrior women. So, like, what's going on? Okay, so that's maybe just an inconsistency. I mean, I don't know. Like, we don't know in this fantasy society that's sort of just vaguely medieval, how far back do their records go in a trustworthy way? Also, like, maybe there were secret women. True. That's true. We know that they did have... So, Becca Cooper was... Oh, how long before? Like, Oh, that's oh, a really true. good They question. did have lady knights in Becca Cooper, and I think that's probably, what, maybe four or five generations before? I wouldn't say more than 150 that's, years. I, I, think, I think it might be a couple hundred years, but yeah, not, um, not a really significant amount of yeah. time. Surprising how little society changed, but but, but anyway, <laughs> for another day. Two hundred years. Just looked it up. It's two hundred years. Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Split the difference. Right, but like two hundred years is not massively long, and there haven't been that many other changes in society. So it does make me wonder, like, what you know? We never really learn. And then the lady knights were 
discredited for their fraud scheme and <laughs> right when did their when and why did their stop being lady knights is such an interesting question yeah and we i don't think we know that do we no I, not that i know of which i mean i wonder if any sort of that like anything will come up in becca cooper when we read that in the far distant future <laughs> um because i yeah i I mean, yeah, I think maybe, like, we should maybe table this somewhat until we talk about Becca Cooper, because a lot of this comes from there, but, like, that is a pretty egalitarian society, and then suddenly you jump 200 years forward in the future, and they've established this sexism that wasn't there previously, which is really interesting. Definitely. And, I mean, it's notable, too, which we said before, but there are women warriors in their society. It's just, like, limited in a weird way to the uh, temple association. Right, because they can't... They can... Women can be allowed to fight, but not if it gets them power in society. Sure. So, like, why? Don't know. I don't... Yeah, we're gonna have to, like, really keep an eye out for if they talk about that at all. Because mm-hmm. I, I think there'll be a lot of inter- interesting information about this in uh, subsequent books. Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, so, I... Uh, this book has a lot of events in it many events which we already talked about a little bit aurora you were gonna say something oh yeah i mean i was earlier just gonna kind of riff off that in that in terms of like you know classical plot structure this is very very odd in that the number of peaks it has so many so so many and the number of just like things that you can distinctly categorize as an event that don't really um you know have like a major impact or anything right so, like, there's a bunch of, uh, there's, like, a bunch of little climaxes that, like, aren't really related to anything is kind of what you were saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, and there are so many that, at least this time that I read the book, that, like, ending climax, which is supposed to, in theory, be, like, the big one, wasn't as, perhaps, like, climactic as it could have been, just because there'd been so many experiences, like, in which she almost died before that. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I love very much about this book is that... The the ending climax is one of literally three distinct duels that are all very, like, important to the plot. And I was, like, I was on board for this. I was so invested in every single one of those duels. I agree, totally. But she did just duel men three times. <laughs> yeah, and also, I think that one thing I've noticed about both of these books is there are a lot of, like, guys who show up once and are like I think you're probably bad at dueling and then she duels them and then they never come back right. and she's like actually I'm great at dueling and then they just leave and they're gone from the plot you're wrong and I'll prove it and then that's just like another little mini climax but she also she yeah. also dueled a boar and separately a wolf um, so there is just yeah. that's true well it's kind of yeah it seems like her almost dying just like lost all power as a plot element because it happened so often. Yeah, she got straight out kidnapped, and I was like, this is fine. Like, she's gonna be okay. (laughs) It'll turn out. I mean, I kind of really enjoyed that it was, like, low stakes, though. Like, she got kidnapped, and I was just like, ooh, this is, like, an exciting twist, you know? Like, it just, it didn't concern me very much. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was coming because I've read this book multiple times before, but, you know. Yeah, like, I hadn't read it, and she got kidnapped, and I was like, oh, so, like how she's just gonna be fine right like she's gonna give these two guys emotional support and get them out of here and she's gonna be <laughs> and fine. pick the locks it's it's really cool that she can just pick locks now and that's a skill she has right. yeah because she's been hanging out with a thief oh, i love that she can pick locks yeah no it's great 
But yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's, I, like, it, I think it ties into her sort of being a Mary Sue, which is great. And it's just sort of like, she's, especially because she doesn't really have, like, she kind of got over her imposter syndrome in the previous book. And now she's just kind of like, I'm very capable. Yes, I can fight this very good knight from another country and represent my country and beat him, even though I'm much smaller than him. Um, but, like... Yeah, I don't know. The the fact that she's sort of, like, she's very powerful and unstoppable and she gets into all these situations, but you're never really scared that something really bad is going to happen to her. Like, that's just fun to read. Right. I think that was what makes this book, um, like, genuinely fun at the majority, throughout the majority of it, even though there are troubling elements. But, like, what's fun is her confidence and that she does face, like, like troubles and, you know, emotional troubles, personal troubles, but she has this, like, in this book, unwavering confidence in herself and her abilities, which I feel like you don't get to read that often, especially for women. And I really like that in a protagonist just being like, no, I'll figure it out. Like, of course I'm going to beat this guy. Or that like, when things like with her duel with the the knight, the first duel. um, (laughs) The first of the three duels. You know, at first things weren't going super well, like they were going okay, but then she got mad and just like, Oh, I was, I can't think of a, a, a appropriate way to say that, but she beat him very thoroughly and it was just beautiful because <laughs> she was so angry and then she was gone. And this happened like multiple times. Yeah, this is also, I think in, in multiple of the, du- actually, I think in all three of the duels, she was like doing okay. And then her opponent, like opponent, like broke the rules of chivalry and she got really mad about it. Yeah. And then she just got super awesome. Yeah. That. And that's also like, that's so interesting to me because also like usually to the, especially in the duel with the first knight, like, he had technically won at that yeah. point. And if he hadn't he, kept he was... trying to kill her, he would have won. Right. Like... Right, he was a jerk about it, and he, uh, yeah, and not, you know, noble, and so that gave her the chance to, like, be way cooler than him. Yeah, like, the thing that gives her her power is righteous anger. Um, Like, thinking about the theme of her fears, too, I really like that she does... She doesn't really fear being overpowered or defeated or whatever like she's very afraid in situations where she's not in control uh but she otherwise like she's afraid of drowning she's afraid of being cold but she's not afraid of facing people that are more powerful than her yeah no that's a that's an interesting sort of uh with the main theme of sort of her facing her fears it's interesting that um right her fear is often not you know, combat, because she knows Mm. she's good at that now. Her fear is, right, any situation where she loses control. But she faces that also. Oh, I did want to mention, this is only sort of plot-related, but this is the best place to put it, I thought. There's a couple times that uh, Roger makes a chess metaphor, um, (laughs) and then there's... Because, you know, he's a villain. The villain's gotta (laughs) do chess metaphors. Um, They just love him. They love him so much. Um, and then there's also a scene, I think it's right when Alana has been kidnapped and, uh, the, a servant, like, bursts in to tell Roger and Miles and, like, they're playing chess against each other. And so I really, like, this makes me just imagine that there's this whole other sort of, like, narrative that's, like, a Game of Thrones kind of political machinations <laughs> thing that's just happening in the background where, like, Roger and Miles just play chess against each other and it's this really intense, like, metaphor-charged, like interaction where they're trying to like get each other to admit something or something and like all of this is just happening 
in the background of this middle grade fantasy where Alana <laughs> solves problems by fighting them with a sword. I hope so. She would certainly not know if that was happening. So like it's entirely possible. Right. Like she like I, I appreciate that like Roger is the kind of villain that makes chess metaphors, but Alana is like so not the kind of hero who would buy into that at all. Right. Yeah, like Alana walks up to the chessboard and she just hits it with the sword. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I mean, but ultimately doesn't she kind of a little bit do well, she takes like all his little pieces and like well, throws them or something. Like chess. A metaphor. Wait, she throws like chess. his pieces. She like exposes his game. Just or like whatever. in chess. Oh, I guess. I sure. it a little too far. But <laughs> like how you do in chess. Just like in chess, you take your opponent's pieces and you throw them on the ground in front of the king. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Um, I did feel like this book was like comparatively a bit bereft of world building. I was kind of I kinda of missed it. But that's okay. Yeah, no, I mean I like I there's a lot of things that I like about this book. Um in terms of content, but we do, we, we've just moved right on past having, like, like, the old ones, bye, those are gone forever. We still don't know who they are, or <laughs> We what? never get to, or when, or no. why. and we're never going to. Yeah. There were a couple of, like, really small details in the book that made me wonder about world building stuff, though. Like, these are, like, one-off lines. But, like, for example, the first night that she duels, duels from, like, Tuzane says something like... Mm-hmm along the lines of, like, I've been killing mountain bandits since I was smaller than you, and it's like, is that your justice system? Like, (laughs) do you just send people into the mountains to kill people (laughs) when they steal stuff? Like, (laughs) is that what the justice system is there? Oh, and, like... Yeah, we we sure don't know. Um, and the king trying to be, like, um, King Raul, is that his name? He's trying to be, like, a... King Raul, I think. He's trying to be, like, a, a peacemaker, right? Is that him? And then everybody's like, mm-hmm. how ridiculous. How dare you try and make reparations for our colonial actions? Yeah, I feel like we should, we should table actions. that for, uh, for social justice corner, because we're going to talk about, you know, militarism and imperialism and stuff. Oh, for but, sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think we should we should table that for the future. Yeah, but some of the history um, is filling in in an interesting way. Yeah, no, we are getting more history. And we're, I mean, we're getting, I think we're getting more... Uh, sort of the standard version of magic that, you know, as we go along, we'll see more in the future books where, you know, everyone sort of, everyone who can do magic has this sort of non-specific gift that they sort of use by, like, moving the power around. We don't have any more, like, cute little rhymes that they use to do magic. Um, we do have, uh, you know, they don't call on the gods to do their magic, but we do have an appearance of a god, so we should probably talk about that. Yeah, and um, Tom uses, like, a command word for a god. Oh, yeah, a word of command, which is something very powerful that we don't really know anything about. Right. Oh, I mean, they explain it later in another series, um, but... We don't know about that, I think Aurora. in the sense of this... Yeah, no, we don't know. We know yeah, nothing. I think, right, within, you know, three or four books, we're going to start learning a lot more about magic. But right now, it's sort of very vague, I guess. Well, I think... Ambiguous. I feel like Tamara Pierce, as an author, is figuring out where she wants to go with it, and it feels a lot more mm-hmm. um, consistent and confident of a portrayal in this book than it did in the first. Yeah, I agree. Which, I mean, I think in general, it's sort of, you know, it's it's nice that it sort of has rules and makes sense and sort of does what it expects you, what you expect it to do. But I do kind of miss the, like, early installment weirdness of, like, 
her sword is a magic thing from the old ones that can kill these demons that are here and they're unexplained. And, like, I, that stuff is cool. I want, like, I, I, you know, it makes sense that she got rid of it just for sort of, like, consistency, but, like, I also want to know so much more about it. Right. I mean, we still do get some of that. Like, fools, uh, she got the little emberstone from the guy. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, that just, like, does something that's super useful to the plot. Um, yeah, but that's, I guess, sort of less mysterious than she found sure. this old sword that can kill demons and where did it come from and who made it and what is happening. It's, I, it's, it's more sort of like humans have magic and they can do sort of this set of things with them. And then there are gods who interfere with humans' lives and they can sort they're more powerful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Everything sort of seems a bit more logical, I guess. Like very straightforward, very typical portrayal of magic which is it's good for the sake of the clarity of the book but it's a little bit sad in terms of there's a lot less to try and like puzzle out and there's a lot less intrigue with it yeah i feel right i feel like i guess this is just the the tortal that i know from all the other books and i don't feel like i have as many questions about it right and it's it also feels like more typical fantasy magic to me Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's sort of big i guess in a way that you know, you can project onto it. Although Roger does have those, uh, like, real, real creepy voodoo dolls, which um, I was, like, kind of doesn't fit into the rest of the magic. Oh, yeah. True. Yeah, that's still a little bit early installment weirdness kind of thing. But it's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of a, it, like, it's definitely a classic magic thing. For sure. Does the magic have a strong, like, strong ties to the natural world in general? Because they were talking about, like, if you put it under running water, that means that, like, this doll, the person represented by this doll will fall ill. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's sort of, uh, you know, uh, an element of, you know, or at least in this book, I don't really know if this carries over into future books, but there's an element of, you know, having a physical representation of something makes the magic work better so same with like he obscured their vision by putting the little dolls of them in a veil um which you know is kind of like a classic (laughs) idea of voodoo or whatever but it doesn't i mean it doesn't really fit that in that much with the rest of the magic i think it's a lot more um i read it as a lot more like wiccan influenced than voodoo um which is appropriate because that's more of like a pagan european influence um but also like kind of appropriate because this is from like the 80s 90s right so that's that's like more of a cultural Mm -hmm. presence and I kind of saw that there I guess it made sense to me in the combination of like the feminist praxis that we're viewing that this would also be part of the cultural draw yeah it's interesting that you say that because I I feel like that kind of you know making representations those um Wiccan sort of thing that you're talking about does fit in more with a um Or I guess less with the kind of magic that we see Roger and other sort of male academic sorcerers doing, and more with, you know, the kind of thing that I would expect to see from Maud, the, you know, friendly neighborhood witch in the first book. Definitely. Um, Because she does more, you know, she does the, like, creating the fire and reciting the rhymes and calling on the gods and stuff. And I I think there is somewhat of a disconnect in these books between, you know, especially in the future, we see a lot of male academic mages and that's one kind of magic um but i i think that we can assume that there is a sort of presence of this you know like hedge witches lower class magic female magic 
and the um, the creating representations is a thing that Roger does, but it sort of seems to fit more into that brand of magic. Definitely, which is why it's interesting that that's what he does when he's being, like, mega evil. Like, that's his ev- climax of yeah. his evil. Um, but I do think in the future we see academic sorcery more associated with, you know, the power-corrupting theme that we saw from magic in the first book. So, I don't know. It's definitely something we'll have to keep track of. Yeah, we'll have to see where that goes in future books. Also something, I mean, maybe we should talk about this in the spoiler section, because uh, we know more about this cat than we know in this book, but there's a cat <laughs> and it talks. Don't tell me, wait, I have a fan theory for the cat and you can't tell me anything about the cat. Like, make me leave during that part. Okay. Okay, yeah, Amy can leave during the spoiler section, but Amy, please tell us your fan theory about the cat. Oh, okay, so I have two fan theories about the cat and they are mutually exclusive of one another. Great. So. I love it. The first one is, it's a regular cat. (laughs) Like, this is just a normal cat, and Alana's just really projecting. Um, I actually do love that, partially because uh, of some things that happen in future books that are also spoilers, but um, yeah, it would be great if it was just a regular cat. Yeah, so it's a regular cat is the first one. The second one is, it's not a regular cat, and it has violet eyes, and I think that they weren't twins. It wasn't just Alana and Tom. <laughs> they were tri- they were triplets. This is terrible. <laughs> the third one got turned into a cat, and their dad forgot about the third one because he's a bad dad. He is a bad dad. <laughs> oh, that's another thing. Okay, wait. First off, I just want to say there is a quote that of Alana saying, "Violet eyes don't make a creature supernatural." Weren't she and Tom proof of that? Yeah, I read no, that. No, they are not. <laughs> yes, they are. They are not proof of that. I have a sticky note in my book that's. And it is just about that, and it's really early on, and I can't remember if I said anything funny, so I guess I'm not going to look it up. But, Alana, look at your life. <laughs> right, she's the most supernatural it's possible for a person to be. Yeah, like, she has intense healing power. She has a magic sword. She has a magic horse that stopped being magic because she got a magic cat that was more magic and or a totally a normal cat. I don't think the horse was ever magic. It was just perfect and beautiful. <laughs> But she also does have a connection to one of the most powerful gods in their universe, so, you know. Yeah, like, Alana, please. Honey. Okay, wait, but the other thing that I wanted to say about what you just said is uh, a, a cool, fun choice that this series makes in terms of plot structure is that her dad dies off screen between books, yeah. and she goes to the funeral, and her brother also goes to the funeral, and they see each other for the first time in, like, four years, and all of that just happens completely off screen. Yeah, and it is, like, only referred to in a way as if we should have already heard about it. Like, remember when, when... Yeah, very casually. <laughs> right, which is, I, it's fine, I guess, but I don't love it. I also missed Coram a lot. Yeah, Coram, is Coram also gone now that she has shiny new knights to look up to, or... No, Coram, well, Coram comes back. <laughs> cool. In future, because she's going adventuring. Cool. Oh, also, just to refer back to stuff happening off screen, like, stuff Mm -hmm. gets referenced that happened off screen all the time in these books in a way where, like, I feel like it's something that I should have been familiar with. Like, the one guy who was like, she saved my eye or whatever. And it's like, that's (laughs) oddly specific. Um, Yeah, that's that's really true. I also, uh, yeah, I think a a lot of this is a function of... uh, just the the amount of time that they're squeezing into these books, because I think the last book was three years. I think this one's four years. 
I might not be exactly right about that, but that's a lot of years. And there is one point where um, I think it's it's right after George kisses her, um, and literally, in my book, I think it was 20 pages and a year has passed. Right. It's like, it was her birthday. This happened. 20 pages. It was her birthday. <laughs> right. It had been almost a year since he kissed her. It was literally like, it like so it, I think it was John's birthday. George kisses her, which we will talk about. Uh, <laughs> everyone's just making faces. <laughs> I'm so glad we do this in a video call. Not extremely beneficial to the podcast. But. Um, okay, but George kisses her. Then, uh, then Delia of Eldorn shows up at court. Then she duels Alex. Then a year has passed. That's literally the sequence of events. I recall it at one point. She's, it's kind of approaching her ordeal, but I mean approaching her ordeal, it's probably like six months before. And then there's just a sentence that says, over the next few months, she thought about X, Y, and Z. And then it was her ordeal. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Quiet year, Yeah, I, I mean, right, partially because they have all of these sort of like small specific events where she does a duel or she fights an animal or whatever and it's you know a very sort of short period of time that means that they then have to skip over months at a time to fit all this time in this book but it does it somewhat reminds me of like um it's sort of structured like a sword and sorcery novel or sword and sorceress novel uh where you Mm -hmm. get like incidents and then you don't hear anything and then the next chapter is just like Later on, they were in this town, and such and such happened. But it's weird because it's not that. It's not that book. It's a sort of like a cross between that and a like a boarding school adventure. And I'm just not sure if the timeline fusion is working for me. So great. Yeah. Yeah, my thought about it was actually exactly like comparing it to what Harry Potter does because that's also a boarding school magical novel. And Harry Potter is like one important thing happens in the entire year and it takes up like the smallest part of the book. And then the rest of it is just like, I'm going to school and like working <laughs> through these minor events. Um, like even like the tri, it honestly, the corollary I had for it was like the Triwizard Tournament, which I don't know if you. We've all read Harry Potter here, but maybe not in general. But, like, there's a point where, like, there's, like, a month and a half between Harry getting assigned a task and Harry having to do it. And it shows all the time between that. And it also shows him the week before being like, I haven't started working on this. (laughs) Yeah, I I do get a feeling in uh, the fourth Harry Potter book, there's always... It always gives you, like, the full window of him gradually panicking that he's not prepared to do a thing. Yeah, and instead of that, in here, we just got, like... Alana thought about it, and then it was there, and then she did it, and there was a spider. <laughs> but right, I mean, it's it's tricky to write a, a 200-page book that covers four years. Like, that's really hard to do. Right, and we know what's coming up at the end, so we keep learning how long it is until the ordeal, whereas in the first book, I think we just, like, kind of passively let time pass and took in events as they happened. Right. But this one, we keep hearing about time and being like, wait, that doesn't match my perception of it. Because we, we all commented in the first episode about one point in Alana where we were like, that's so weird. I didn't think a year had passed. But that happens like six times in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's also valid to say that there's not really a way that Alana can prepare for anything that happens to her because it's like, oh, a boar is trying to murder me. That's fine. Like, you know, and like the ordeal doesn't have a way to prepare for it because it's this huge secret. and Right. So there's not, she's not like... She's generally training to be a knight, but she's not doing specific preparation for the ordeal because she can't, which makes it kind of hard to 
sort of measure time up to that specifically. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think we should move on. Uh, we have a section in our outline document that's just labeled very fast linguistics, so I do want to do some very fast linguistics. <laughs> um, specifically, I want to mention that uh, there's a character in this book. His name is Jem Tanner. He's Toussaint royalty who can pass perfectly as a Tortolan commoner, but also he's the only character in the book with a last name. <laughs> I have a lot. No, okay, that's not true. George Cooper also has a last name, but I have so many questions. Right. <laughs> Namely, like, are they just indistinguishable populations? Like, they don't speak different languages, so he's never developed an accent? Like, I mean, you'd think that even if, the, even if, like, on the Toussaint border, it makes sense that Tortolans and Toussainians would sound, like, kind of similar, but he's, he's a prince, and he just shows up as, like, a commoner, and he sounds exactly the same. Right. And also, like, literally none of these soldiers have last names except for him, and how is that not a giveaway? <laughs> maybe everyone thinks, maybe he says it really fast so that it sounds like one name. Jem Tanner. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jem Tanner. <laughs> and no one puts yeah. together, like, maybe... <clears throat> Maybe Jem is a really common name, but he didn't change his name that much when he was going undercover. Like, Jemmet? No, it's like a nickname for his real royal name. Do you think he's just messing with them and he kind of wants them to figure it out? Like, just, <laughs> just because, like... I would buy it. He's not a cool guy. <laughs> no. Like, he just keeps being waiting for someone to, like, be like, wait a second, and no one does. What a weird coincidence. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you realize you have the basically the same name as the prince? And you kind of sound like posh and like you're not from here. The pieces are really falling together. And also you just keep disappearing at random <laughs> times, but that's fine. That's a normal thing for soldiers to do. Yeah. You must be outside in the sun a lot or something. <laughs> you know, like you must have studied this language in school. <laughs> and Jem's just like, please. Please. Like, he just wants to go home. Okay, I feel like we've now covered very fast linguistics. And we can move on to uh, Social Justice Corner, which is gonna be a great time. Okay, anyway, we're going to have a, a super great time in Social Justice Corner. Um, should we just start with the romance and get it over Can with? Can we all just, like, yell for a minute, like, at, at the same time? <laughs> just, like, go and we all just yell. I have a sticky note that just says, in all caps, very big, NO, GEORGE! So. I like I have like five you know I was writing in the margins of my book I have like five pages where my my commentary in the margins is just like no 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 yeah. no you gross terrible no I just kept writing yeah. like you ugh uh like so in case for some reason you had different opinions than us or something like uh, you don't remember <laughs> or you this? haven't read this book yeah. maybe or you haven't read this book um the like 
violence against Alana by men in her life who she trusts in this book is deeply appalling and sad and I just think back and I'm like oh dear uh 10 year old Grace I hope that you didn't internalize any of this um yeah it's really upsetting that I read this as a kid yeah, right I, like because as I mentioned earlier this was like the first you know air quotes like book that had like romance in it air quotes around the romance um I thought this was normal and reading back, I just have all caps in every single one of my notes about this. Yeah, so I I, I want to give a little bit of con- a little bit more context than we've given. Yeah, I don't know how to like uh, explain it. I guess. I mean, I can I can sort of give a summary of what happens. I feel like, which is, I mean, so Alana has two love interests in this book: the King of Thieves and the Prince of the Country. Interests is George generous and John. phrasing. Well. Yes, okay, they are interested in her. There is very little indication that she is interested in them. Um, But so, I mean, the book starts with the goddess telling her, like, you're afraid of love and you need to accept a man's touch, which is already very gross, especially because she's a 14-year-old. I mean, like, A, she's 14 and she shouldn't have to be worrying about a man's touch if she doesn't want to be. Um, no one at any age should have to worry about that if they don't right. want to be. Right, I mean, like, I like I identify as asexual, I know a lot of people who are aromantic, and, like, it. you don't, never do you need to have a man's touch or romantic love if you don't want it. I mean, also lesbians, but, like, there's a lot, yeah. <laughs> many, many people would not be into this. Right, yeah. and that's okay. And the goddess is, like, really putting this, like, the... Her, her literal goddess is telling her that she needs to, which is so awful. Um, and so then uh, she, you know, in various events happen in this book. Uh, when she's 15 and George is 22, he tells her that commoners marry as young as 15. And she says that she's not interested in romance. And then she he kisses her. When, like, immediately after this conversation, when she can't stop him, and she says that she's, you know, she trembles, and she's too shocked to do anything but let it happen. And he says out loud, in dialogue, I'm going to take advantage of you now. Because your hands are full. He sure does. Then she later describes it as, uh, he was stalking her. Um, and says, you know, like, if if he would only let go of her hand. Um, and she says, you know, I... I should have stabbed you, which he totally disregards as, like, a funny comment. Um, and then, also, I just feel like I should mention, even though it's not 100% related, that, uh, he kisses her again a couple other times, also right before her ordeal, when she's, like, kind of nervous, he does put something in her drink and drug her and make her go to sleep. that part made me so squeezy. I hated it. I hated it so much. The idea that, like... And everybody's just like, oh, that's cute. He didn't want her to have a nervous night. No, you can't non-consensually drug a teenager. <laughs> like, yeah. You absolutely Or can't. anyone, ever at any time. No. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, okay, so that's where I put all caps, no, George. Um, very uh-huh. big. The no is very large. Um, so, but the first, like, I'm really glad that I read this as an adult. Because I was reading this and I was like, oh, a 22-year-old is hitting on a 15-year-old girl and apparently... And then sexually assaulting her later in the same scene. And luckily, like, my reaction and thoughts to that were verbatim, 
hey, George, I'm calling the police. They're on their way. (laughs) Um, But, like, when I was, like, 10 or, like, however old I would have been if I read this book and it had been at my library, like, I might have just been like, oh, all right. Right. I guess that's how romance works. Okay, I do also want to, like, I, I, let's let's keep talking about this, but I do also want to just mention that her lo- other love interest is John, who also definitely does sexual, sexually assault her on multiple occasions. Yeah, also terrible. Like, it seems like they have a consensual relationship, but he does kiss her a couple times when she doesn't want that to be happening, and he's, you know, really, like, he also deals with his attraction a lot by just sort of being mean to her, um, and then the when she's, she's dress up as a girl at one point which is a whole other thing that we should talk about but he like comes on to her and she's like no this shouldn't happen and he says you're fighting what has to be and we belong to each other and she says like no i was gonna bring and that then up. he says yeah. go away before i change my mind yeah which he like threatens her he threatens that he's gonna he seriously her. threatens to just like yeah it's so bad and then uh later she says that she doesn't want to talk about love and he puts his hand over her mouth so they're both just very bad. So terrible. And yeah. I, like, my memory of this, like, reading it when I was young is um, that I remember being a little freaked out by the age difference with George, but I thought he was still charming. Uh, and with John, I don't, I remembered it as a good relationship, like a romantic, charming relationship. Um, yeah. I, I, I never liked John when I read these, but I did like George. And I, I mean, I think partially because I read things about him in other books first. So I had a sort of idea of him as like affable, friendly guy, but that's just not borne out in this. No. Like he, most of their relationship is just him assaulting her. And she thinks that's normal, but it's clearly not. Yeah. Like this is what happens when you go to an all boys school. Like she need. there are three women in this book. Two of them have been like, no, you need to have a romantic relationship. No, three of them have been like, oh, you need to have a romantic relationship, actually, to her. And, like... Wait, who are the three? The goddess tells her that, and Mr. Cooper tells her that. And whoever it was that made her, like, the birth control charm situation. Oh, that was was also Mr. Cooper. Oh, really? I thought it was a different person. I don't know why. Oh, you're mistaken. There's two women in this book. (laughs) Wow. There there was like two oh, other maybe three like yeah. the queen was there. Oh yeah, Delia the villain, the wasting who, mother know. and the woman who uses her sexuality to get ahead. Such Yay. a diverse cast of women. Oh. One time there was one of the queen's ladies who was mentioned as ice skating and I was just like, wow, she's having a good time and not being defined by her sexuality. Alana should be friends with her. <laughs> yeah, Alana but... needs like Alana needs friends who are who are like not men. Who are not heterosexual so men. So bad. But also, because, like, like, men are not... She needs to know she can't put up with this. She could also have friends that are men that don't assault her. That would also be cool and good. Like, Or who, like, told her that the other men assaulting her wasn't okay? Because she does... I mean, I guess the problem is that there, for most of the book, there's only two men around who know that she's female, and they take advantage of that by assaulting her, and no one else knows that she's a woman, and it's just a very bad situation. With the exception of Miles, who I... Is yeah, like well, he, uh, he knows that she's a woman, but she book. doesn't know that right, right. he knows. Oh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, like, the fact that she, like, the fact that she cannot explain like express her gender means that no one is going to look at what's happening to her and be like oh this is assault and yeah like it, i just feel like if she had friends who were not straight men these conversations would at least happen around her right i hope and she so could be like yeah no i i uh 
Grace, I, Grace was texting me about this a little bit yesterday, and we were sort of just talking about how, um, you know, she says that she should stab George, and we expanded that to she should just stab all the men in her life but then grace you said but not faithful but actually yes also faithful because <laughs> when george assaults her he's faithful doesn't protect her he, yeah right she says why didn't you stop it and he said you seem like you were enjoying yourself when she's literally trembling with anger like all the men are faithful bad also was pro drugging her like yeah he sure faithful was. was just like yeah i knew you were doing it i just thought it was a good idea also and it's like no it's not it wasn't a good idea the goddess couldn't even give her a female cat she doesn't even get to have a non-human friend well who's i a don't girl. think the goddess gives her the cat this is another thing that we can talk about later but like right can she just have one girl in her life who's not telling her that she needs to give into heterosexuality yeah also like briefly talk about like when she's like dressed as a woman and beginning to accept that people i feel like we're supposed to read it in the narrative as like she's coming to terms with loving men but you can have like a fully realized relationship with your uh, identity as a woman without having anything to do that having anything to do with the way that you uh interact with sexuality yeah i mean men. i feel like it's it's sort of interesting because last book we had you know there was sort of bad trans feels there was a lot of sort of gender issues and stuff and in this one it seems like she's mostly sort of gotten over that and she's happy you know i i think that i liked about this book was uh you know she was doing a lot of experimenting with dressing femininely and stuff um but also when she met her buff soldier friend she was like really envious of his muscles and she clearly wanted to have big muscles which is like charming that she can you know, both want to be feminine and want to have masculine characteristics. But so, so I think it, this book w was better from a gender perspective, but just so much worse from a sexuality perspective. Right. And I don't want to say like, she's gotten over struggling with her gender because I think it seems like she's just like fully incorporated all parts of herself in a comfortable way, which is good. And I don't think the uh, men around her handle it particularly well. Like when George sees her in a dress, he says, um, quote, so you're a girl after all. And this made me so angry. Um, in that, you know, in saying that, he's saying that what's stereotypically considered feminine was the only thing that could be, like, in his mind, being a girl. Um, and I was like, George, yeah. I lost what little respect I might have had for you. <laughs> Which is already very low yeah. at this point in the book. <clears throat> Can we also do a call out for Jonathan for the fact that, like, he didn't start, like, being weird and gross and like kind of into her until, until he saw her in a dress yeah like and like what and before that i feel like he was like super into delia and also like reading her his bad poetry about delia which also why didn't you include the bad poetry <laughs> yeah that's true that's a loss separate call out because jonathan is clearly a peak little emo boy he has a horse named darkness i just want to read his bad teenage poetry i deserve it <laughs> Yeah, and, like, who among us hasn't had a guy try to read us a poem and it be terrible? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I do want more 
sort of expression in the book of Jonathan's emo phase where he just writes bad poetry and names his horse Darkness and rides around on his horse named Darkness. <laughs> yeah, also, like, what? Also, he only reads the bad poetry to his friend who is a girl, even as she is Because she's the one him. who knows of romance. Yeah, and, like, he even mentions... Well, I, don't, I mean, we don't know that he doesn't read poetry to, like, Raoul and Gary. Okay, but I do think it's interesting that, like, the moment she wakes up from being injured while at war, he's, like, he, like, even points out, like, oh, I don't know why, but I'm immediately telling you all of my problems. Uh-huh. And, like, I think he just makes her oh, do man. a lot of emotional labor. I agree. <laughs> Probably does, yeah. I think there's a lot more to discuss here, but also we have been recording for over an hour, so I think maybe we should wrap up and table things for the next episode, because we still have a lot to talk about, even just with relation to gender and in the rest of Social Justice Corner. And going forward, there's going to be a lot more. (laughs) We'll stop here for now. We'll get to more Social Justice Corner in the future, but also we'll talk about friendship and maybe lighter topics and animals we're gonna have a lot of fun stuff to talk about in the next episode that's not just sexual assault so sorry that that's mostly where we ended (laughs) but uh our music is a cover of greensleeves by zetta that you can find on soundcloud um i believe our email address if you want to get in touch with us is tortallrecall at gmail.com uh our twitter is at tortallrecall uh you can find us at tortallrecall tortallrecall.com I don't know why that one was the hard one to say (laughs) I just said the word tortallrecall a lot of times Um, and I guess you'll hear the next part of this episode in a couple weeks or something probably where we talk about the rest of this book thank you for listening yeah thank you should we mention that we're going to PodCon or should we like keep that a secret we totally should (laughs) yes Um, Amy and I are gonna be at uh, PodCon in Seattle on December 9th and 10th, which I think this episode will be out before then, so you can say hi to us and talk to us. Um, And also, maybe this is a good time to mention that Amy and I do another podcast that's called More Research Required, so if you want to hear us talk more, you can go to moreresearchrequired.com. Aurora, you want to sign us out? I don't remember. What's our sign out, guys? What's our sign out? I believe it's Sia Tortellini. (laughs) See you, tortellini. (laughs) (laughs) Great.